the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Iran is ousted from the UN Women's Rights Council. Compulsory job is a symbol. We want to get rid of one of the most anti-women regime, one of the gender apartheid regime. A border crisis so deep, even MSNBC takes notice. Unless there's some political aspect to this, there's no outrage. There's no focus. The Fed raises interest rates by 0.5% and implies that there's more to come in 2023. The Fed's saying ongoing rate hikes will be appropriate. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, December 15th. I'm Mike Scott. On Wednesday, the United Nations voted to remove Iran from a key U.N. women's rights group only months after it joined. Twenty-nine members of the U.N.'s Economic and Social Council voted in favor of a resolution proposed by the United States to remove with immediate effect the Islamic Republic of Iran from the Commission on the Status of Women for the remainder of the 2022 to 2026 term. The voting has been completed. Please lock the machine. The result of the vote is as follows. In favor, 29. Against, 8. Abstention, 16. Draft resolution L4 is adopted. First and foremost, my delegation categorically rejects the resolution adopted today. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, U.S. ambassador to the U.N., says Iran was not a positive presence on the council. Iran's membership directly undermines the commission's work. Its membership was a stain on our credibility. Thomas Greenfield says the council stood up for women. For all the women and girls of Iran, we stood up for women. We stood up for life and we stood up for freedom. And for that, we are most proud. Thomas Greenfield says the council acted today on behalf of Iranian women. The United States has long stood for gender equality and basic human rights. We had to act. Iranian women have clearly called for us here at the United Nations to remove Iran from the Commission on the Status of Women. Iran condemned the U.S. resolution, calling it an illegal request, and said it weakens the rule of law in the United Nations. Iran had only just begun its four-year term on the 45-member Commission on the Status of Women after being elected to the body in April. Masih Alinejad, an Iranian activist, joined Julie Hartman on Timeless with Julie Hartman podcast and says that even the family of the Ayatollah is calling for the return of the Shah. Even, even the uh, relative of the Ayatollahs, they are actually saying bless to the Shah because really? now the Mullahs are... I was actually the one interviewing uh, the spokesperson, Mehdi Karoubi, of Parliament, and he was like, he said, 
خدا پدر شاه رو بیامرزه what does it mean you know blessing to the shah and he was cursing the the the, the supreme leader so well, I'm, why I'm, i'm just a little confused because right now people are getting raped in prison women are getting raped in prison like teenagers are getting raped they are not political prisoners hmm. they are the one that want to dance they want to sing They want to actually show their hair. Alina John goes on to say that many teenage protesters who have been released from prison are going to commit suicide. Now, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, 15-year-old students, schoolgirls are in prison. Mm. I mean, I remember that right after the Islamic Revolution on TV, watching the political prisoners doing false confession. But can you believe that now? Teenagers are in TV and doing false confessions and saying that I regret now when I said that I want to show my hair. No, I hate my hair. I want to cover my hair. Now teenagers, right after getting free from prison, they committed suicide. Many of them committed suicide. And this is a huge concern. And that's why even the relative of the mullahs saying that the sister of Ayatollah Khamenei said that, you know, uh, cursed his brother and mm. saying that, They're I'm, even seeing that this is... They're even seeing that. Mm. And, and they even announced that many of the children of the Ayatollahs, many of the children of Friday prayers, they are in prison because they took to the streets and uh, joining the people. The Iranian activist says that compulsory hijab wearing is political, not cultural. And Iranians want to get rid of the regime. For the Islamic Republic, for ISIS, for Taliban, my body, your body is a political platform to write their manifest, to write their, their ideology on our body. The only way when you go to Iran, you understand this is a country being controlled by Islamic states, it's through us. Because we are carrying one of the most visible symbol of uh, religious dictatorship, which is hijab. And mm -hmm. that's why right after the revolution, that was the first step that Khomeini started to control the whole society through women. Right. And that is why when we talk about the brutal death of Mahsa Amini and when women taking to the streets and burning their headscarf, we are not fighting against a small piece of cloth. Women are not just there in the streets facing guns and bullets and asking for, uh, you know, get rid of morality police or compulsory hijab laws. No, compulsory hijab is a symbol. We want to get rid of one of the most anti-women regime, one of the gender apartheid regime. Alina John explains how women in Iran are living in a true handmaid's tale. People in the West, they uh, pay money, they uh, go to cinema or they sit and they eat their popcorns and they watch the Handmaid's Tale series, which is, you know, based on the book written by Margaret Atwood. So, but this fiction is our reality because women are getting raped at the age of seven in the name of marriage. Women are not allowed to go to stadium. Can you believe that? Women are not allowed to travel abroad without getting permission from their husband. Women are not allowed to get a passport. Women who occupied more than 60% of universities are not mature enough to make decision over their own body. That's not acceptable. So that is why I'm saying that this is one of the most progressive revolution led by women, supported by men. Iran has been gripped by mass protest since the death of a 22-year-old woman in September. 
That woman died after being detained by Iran's morality police because she was improperly wearing a headscarf. Authorities in Iran have begun a deadly crackdown on demonstrations, reports of forced detentions and physical abuse being used to target the country's Kurdish minority group. With Title 42 set to come to an end, major news outlets are beginning to sound the alarm over a potential disaster at the southern border. In a rare move, MSNBC's anchor Jose Diaz-Balart criticized the White House's lack of urgency regarding the crisis at the southern border. We just heard some of the horror stories that people face just when they get to Mexico and trying to get to the U.S. They're being kidnapped, starved, raped, extorted. That's just in Mexico. I'm just wondering, where is the urgency here? Where is the outrage that men, women, and children are going through hell? And it seems as though, unless there's some political aspect to this, there's no outrage. There's no focus. Title 42 was invoked by the Trump administration, allowing for the expulsion of immigrants to prevent the spread of COVID-19. This year, migrant apprehension numbers exceeded a record high 2.3 million. And next year, that number is expected to grow. Dan Abrams with News Nation says the Biden administration is now getting criticized by both Democrats and Republicans. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says the Biden administration is exploring, quote, a whole host of things to prevent a humanitarian crisis. He went on to say, we're mindful of the fact that Title 42 is going to end early next week. We're also mindful of the fact that we have to coordinate with our partners, not just the nonprofit organizations with which we work very closely, not just cities along the border like El Paso, but also our international partners who are moving quickly as we can. Look, I'm not sure how much of a plan that is. And the administration is not only under pressure from their friends across the aisle, but now they're even getting warnings from the likes of Democratic California Governor Gavin Newsom, who's not exactly known for calling out the Biden administration. He warned that California would experience an unsustainable flow of illegal immigrants, saying, quote, the fact is what we've got right now is not working. And it's about to break in a post-42 world unless we take responsibility and ownership. Abrams breaks down the numbers to illustrate just how devastating the border crisis is, not only for border towns, but for the country. Over the weekend, the El Paso sector experienced a major surge in illegal crossings with a three-day average of 2,460 daily encounters, primarily through the downtown area of El Paso close to 2,500 a day just in the El Paso area. That's before Title 42 expires. The Department of Homeland Security projects those numbers to increase to between 9,000 and 14,000 daily, which will undoubtedly overwhelm the resources currently in place, which can hardly handle the current number. Roger Salazar, a former spokesperson for Al Gore, says the Biden administration, despite its claims, is not prepared for the end of Title 42. It's a question of, of, of prioritization. Uh, you know, this is an administration that on the very first day in office 
uh, uh, unveiled some immigration uh, uh, reform plans and some legislation. And, uh, and then, as, as you know, as advocates have been saying, it's been radio silence since. Uh, you know, th- this uh, you know th- this is clearly a, 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 a something that they have prepared for. Title Forty Two is something that, that the administration has been saying that they wanted to uh, to, to uh, you know to, to get rid of. Uh, so they've had two years to, to, to put in plans into place and prepare for this, and they're clearly not prepared. Uh, so, uh, you know, there, there is, a, you know, the concern that I have, uh, you know, as somebody who works with the farm worker groups and others, is that, uh, you know, anything they put into place will be just as bad, if not worse, than what they have now. So, uh, you know, we're not uh, necessarily buoyed by, um, you know, by what Mayorkas has been saying. Ken Oliver is a former White House director of Hispanic media under George Bush and says the Biden administration may have no choice but to invoke Trump-era policies to keep the southern border from becoming a disaster area. The administration has failed uh, day after day for two years on this and cannot be trusted. What we're going to see probably if they're going to do something and actually control the situation is go back to some of the policies of the past administration and tighten asylum. The administration has been loosening the criteria for asylum, letting uh, people in, uh, granting many more cases of asylum, when it should be doing the exact opposite because most people really don't qualify. And that's been a magnet, and the catch and release has been a tremendous magnet. So I predict that if the Biden administration is going to deal with this crisis, which is getting worse by the day, uh, and we'll see it explode next week, it will have to go back to some of the previous policies and get tough with Mexico. Uh, if Mexico is allowing someone in, they need to allow someone back back to their country. They can't expect the United States to accept everyone that they accept first into their country as a refugee. To make matters worse... According to some reports, Border Patrol agents are recovering about two deceased illegal immigrants per day due to drowning, dehydration, and other causes. Officials in Eagle Pass, Texas, have struggled to find spare spaces to bury unidentified deceased migrants and have requested more refrigerators to store bodies. On Wednesday, lawmakers on Capitol Hill announced a framework bill that would fund the government for the current fiscal year, potentially avoiding a shutdown. Scott McFarland, congressional correspondent for CBS News, says that the bipartisan bill is a perilous balancing act. So there's much more to do, but the framework means they have a top-line number. They know the likely overall cost of this plan to fund the government and keep the lights on. About $800 billion in military spending, about $1.5 trillion for the overall federal government. But therein lies the issue. There's a balancing act perennially between Democrats and Republicans as how much should be spent on military and how much should be spent on everything else. Republicans are arguing Democrats who've controlled the Senate and the House and the White House have already spent an awful lot of Americans' money on things involving non-military expenses. And Republicans say there is a pressing need to increase the proportion of money spent on Defense Department programs. They're going to hash all that out. They've already punted the deadline or they've prepared themselves to punt the deadline to next week. And during this home stretch, as they try to write this term paper, they're going to balance out that issue. McFarland explains how Republicans are using their control of Congress in January as leverage. It's an enormous complication. Uh, Republicans take control of the U.S. House, which would give them enormous leverage and an enormous negotiating tool if this were to be decided next year. Right now, Democrats control both the House and the Senate. And when that changes, 
the positioning, the jockeying for leverage changes quite a bit. So there is a balance right now between Republicans saying, if you don't get this done under our terms now, we'll get to dictate the terms come January. That's part of the complication here. And it's why there's such a symmetry to what happened in 2018 when there was a government shutdown for 35 days because control of the House was poised to flip over. It complicates things. One of the reasons why they're so close to the deadline and there's at least an appreciable concern of a government shutdown. Not all Republicans are on board with the bipartisan measure to fund the government. Congressman Kevin McCarthy, who will likely be Speaker of the House in January, says Republicans need to have a larger say in that bill. I propose that you have two senators who are gone. You just had an election where we changed the course where the House is now going to be controlled by Republicans. You have Democrats who controlled all and didn't do their job are now going to try to jam us right before Christmas. A bill that funds the entire government, that we don't have any input in and others. It wouldn't have anything to do with being speaker. It has to do with the American public and what the future of America is going to be when it comes to fiscal resources. Senator Rick Scott of Florida released an op-ed on FoxNews.com decrying the bill, saying in part, quote, The American people sent an unmistakable message in the November midterm elections, making clear they want a Republican-led House to serve as a check on the unfettered spending of the current Democrat-controlled Congress, end quote. The national debt has grown by nearly $5 trillion to an insane $31 trillion, causing record inflation in part that is nearly four times higher than the Federal Reserve target of 2%. Given these Democrat achievements, it would be a dereliction of our duty, according to Scott, for Senate Republicans to ram through a so-called omnibus bill, which would fund the entirety of the Pelosi-Schumer spending agenda through most of next year. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell announced Wednesday that the Fed would once again raise rates, this time by 0.5%. The move has now raised rates to their highest levels in 15 years, showing that, despite some promising signs, the fight to cool inflation is ongoing. My colleagues and I are acutely aware that high inflation imposes significant hardship as it erodes purchasing power especially for those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing, and transportation. We are highly attentive to the risks that high inflation poses to both sides of our mandate, and we are strongly committed to returning inflation to our 2% objective. At today's meeting, the committee raised the target range for the federal funds rate by a half percentage point, bringing the target range to 4.25% to 4.5%. Powell explains why the Fed decided to raise rates. Despite the slowdown in growth, the labor market remains extremely tight, with the unemployment rate near a 50-year low, job vacancies still very high, and wage growth elevated. Job gains have been robust, with employment rising by an average of 272,000 jobs per month over the last three months. Although job vacancies have moved below their highs and the pace of job gains has slowed from earlier in the year, the labor market continues to be out of balance with demand substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. The labor force participation rate is little changed since the beginning of the year. 
FOMC participants expect supply and demand conditions in the labor market to come into better balance over time, easing upward pressures on wages and prices. The median projection in the SEP for the unemployment rate rises to 4.6% at the end of next year. Raising rates half a percentage point has brought the target range up to 4.25% and 4.5%. The increase broke a string of four straight three-quarter point hikes, the most aggressive policy moves since the early 1980s. CNBC Steve Leisman breaks down the announcement and what that means for 2023. The Federal Reserve raising interest rates by 50 basis points to a new range of four and a quarter to four and a half percent as expected. The Fed saying ongoing rate hikes will be appropriate. The Fed also raising the 2023 median forecast of Fed officials went up to 5.1 percent. It had been at 4.6 percent. This is higher than market expectations for a peak funds rate. Um, it is, by the way, right in line with the Fed survey at 5.15. 17 of the 19 officials are now above 5% in their forecast for the 2023 funds rate. None were above 5 in the September forecast. Seven officials, in fact, are at 540. And there's one person who's at 563 all the way through 2025. The funds rate then see going down to 4.1% in 2024, 3 1 in 2025, with a long run rate eventually being reached of 2.5%. Leisman says the Fed is predicting higher unemployment rates for next year. The Fed repeats it will take account of the cumulative effect of rate hikes and lags in setting policy. This is again from the statement. It will continue to reduce the balance sheet by $95 billion a month. It says growth has been modest, inflation elevated, unemployment low, and job gains robust. So it still sees that tight job market out there. It raised the GDP this year to 0.5 from 0.2. That's because of the strength we've seen in the fourth quarter. But it lowered it to just a half a point for next year from 1.2. Ratcheted up a bit the unemployment rate to 4.6 from 4.4 for next year. Uh, Stays there for two years, by the way. And it sees inflation gradually declining to 2% by 2025. Leisman goes on to say that the Fed is signaling that the job of cooling inflation is not over. I think the Fed's sending a message here that while the market has taken all this very dovishly, uh, loosened up financial conditions, that part of this is a message, hey, we're going above 5%. We intend to be very tough here when it comes to inflation. So that 5.1%, not just by itself, but the number of people, the change from the September survey uh, those n- None of them were above 5% before, and many of them now being above. What did I say here? 17 officials now above 5. Seven officials are at 540 or higher. So there was a pretty hawkish, sizably hawkish contingent on the Federal Reserve right now. The new level marks the highest the Fed funds rate has been since December 2007, just ahead of the global financial crisis, and as the Fed was loosening policy aggressively to combat what would turn into the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression. More than half of U.S. adults say it's harder to afford Christmas gifts this year. Daybreak Insider's Jason Walker has more on this story. The survey from the Associated Press NORCA Center for Public Affairs Research finds 69% say they have seen higher prices for gifts in recent months, up from 58% last year. 
57% say it's much harder to afford the things they want to give, a dramatic increase from 39% one year ago. Also, two-thirds of Americans earning less than $50,000 annually say they're having a hard time affording gifts and holiday meals this year. Jason Walker reporting. So, are you going to the company holiday party this year? Daybreak Insider's Rita Foley has a question for you. I mean, are you really going? After two years of Zoom parties, many companies are planning in-person holiday celebrations this year. Challenger Gray and Christmas, the hiring firm, says more than 57% of companies are planning in-person parties. Only 26% had them in 2021 and only 5% in 2020. Many parties will be more intimate, though, as companies try to accommodate workers who are increasingly remote and far-flung. One woman who works at a health and nutrition company in the Chicago area got so excited that her office party was back, she picked out her cocktail dress two months ahead of time. I'm Rita Foley. And finally, everyone in South Korea is about to get a year younger thanks to a new law passed by that country's parliament. Now, by the summer of 2023, South Koreans are set to get younger thanks to a legal technicality. When a person is born in South Korea, she's deemed to be a year old at the time of birth. Further, a year is added every January 1st to this age. But the Asian nation has now passed a law scrapping the traditional practice and adopt the international standards. This shift will make its citizens one or two years younger on official documents. But even with the traditional system, a separate system exists parallelly, which consider the age to be zero at birth and adds a year every January 1st. This system was used for conscription purposes and for calculating the legal age to drink alcohol and smoke. Since the early 1960s, however, South Korea began using the international norm of calculating the age as zero at birth and adding a year every birthday. This was used for medical and legal documents, also used the international norm of calculating from zero at birth and adding a year each year. With the new law being passed, the confusing area of systems is set to disappear. The law, which now enforces international norms of calculating age, will take effect in June of 2023. In South Korea, when a baby is born, he or she is considered to be a year old. And a year is added every January 1st. So, technically, everyone gets a year older on the same day. There are various accounts on how the tradition started. Some say it accounts for when the child is in the womb, while others say it's tied to ancient numerical systems that didn't have a concept of zero. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at daybreakinsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.